Hi, thanks for downloading Pep Talk. If you enjoy today's episode, why not get a free copy of Andy's book or my book by becoming a regular supporter? Visit us at solas-cpc.org and donate just £3 per month. Thanks so much. On with the show. Well, hello and welcome to Pep Talk, the Persuasive Evangelism podcast. I'm Andy Bannister with the Solas Centre for Public Christianity in Scotland, and I'm joined as ever by my effervescent co-host, Christy Bear, <laughs> coming to us this afternoon all the way from London. How are you doing today, Christy? Very effervescently well, thank you. <laughs> How about yourself? I'm doing well, I'm doing well. Well, we've got not one, but two guests on the show uh, this afternoon. In fact, Pep Talk is going international. And so we have joining us uh, all the way from uh, Atlanta in the USA, we have father and son uh, team of Stuart and Cameron McAllister. Stuart and Cameron, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, Stuart and Cameron, you both uh, work for an organization called uh, RZAM. You're both evangelists, uh, apologists. You've written a book together, uh, Faith That Lasts, that's coming out with IVP uh, in the new year. But I'm intrigued that you've got quite different stories Mm. about how you became Christians. Stuart, why don't we start with you? What's what's your story about how you became a, a, a follower of Jesus? Well, thanks, guys. It's great to be with you. Um, well, I grew up in Glasgow in Scotland. Um, I was uh, a product of my, you know, my dad had been in the, in the Second World War, as most Brits were. Dad was in the Royal Air Force. And really, the, the world that shaped uh, my early life was post-war Britain, the austerity and struggling with that. Dad was in the kind of a Fabian socialist type of, ideology and sort of the heavy Darwinism, almost social Darwinism. So the home I grew up in, there was a kind of a narrative running of big dogs and little dogs. And to be honest, um, my father and I, like, again, many Scots homes, we clashed seriously. So I ended up leaving home when I was 15. Um, I went out, uh, got on my own. I worked, uh, ended up working as a bouncer in a dance hall and was living my free life until in my early, uh, just around um, my late teens, actually, I took up with a young woman. And one day she came in and asked me, what did I think about Christ? Had never given it a moment's thought in my life, was disgusted by the very idea. Ended up uh, uh, coming to faith and then um, joined a mission, Operation Mobilization, was a Bible smuggler for a number of years. Um, Met my wife, Mary, who was an American there. And then uh, had my kids were born in Cameron and first and then Catherine in Austria. So the whole introduction initially to Christianity and to parenting was uh, something that was a bit of a dread to me because I came from a background where I had a lot of fear and concern over what, who I had been, who I needed to become, and how could I raise now kids and not inoculate them or scare them or take responsibility for being a Christian. So um, it was a, a learning curve. And um, Cameron, you have quite a different kind of story and a, and a background to your dad, don't you? Could you share some of that with us? Absolutely. And may I just say, I've always wanted to be described as effervescent. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm living the dream. One day, one day you two can be. One day, it may arrive. One day it can be in the bio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we can do that. We can sort that out. Well, yes. Yeah, so my, my story, I'm tempted to almost say, is a non-story. And kind of, I challenge that a little bit in the book. We both have biographical interludes 
in between the sections where we do tell our story. So for a while, I felt this strange pressure because in Christianity, everybody wants to hear your story. But what if your parents didn't do you the courtesy of giving you a really compelling testimony? What if you were born into a loving Christian household and you just don't have a great psychic well of pain to draw from to give a great story? <laughs> so in some ways, my story looks a little bit like I had no demons, so I went looking for some, which will sound really strange. But so I was born as a missionary kid on the, on the mission field in, in Vienna, Austria. And then we moved in 1998, and I went from a school in Austria of 126 kids, count them, that's grades 1 through 12, to a high school in the States of nearly 4,000. So at the time, that was one of the biggest schools in the nation. So this was a dramatic change for me. And I felt very much like the outsider because I was. Most of my classmates had grown up together. They, they really knew one another really well. And so I thought, well, I've got to fit in somehow. There's a teenage social hierarchy here. So what I've got to do is I've, I've got this kind of these outsider credentials already. So I need to play into this a little bit. And my means of acting that out was I got very into intensely aggressive music. It kind of matched my own sense of intensity. And so that's what I did. And then eventually my goal at this point was to be in a black metal band, be a singer, although we're using the term singer in the loosest sense here. <laughs> but yeah, so my, my, I guess my five-year plan was to move to Norway and howl into the Arctic winds. Now, understandably, there was, there was some tension in the household over this career choice. <laughs> but I think looking back now, and this is, this is one of the important points to make, I had never encountered the phenomenon of cultural Christianity. And that was something for which I was unprepared because if you, you know, when you're in a, a nation like Austria and really many Western European nations, which is, you know, Austria was, is a Catholic heritage, but it's, it's largely secular. You either are a Christian or you are not. There's no in between. But suddenly I moved to the Bible Belt South and everybody was a Christian. No matter what they did or said, they could have had a voodoo shrine in their living room and they would still say, well, yeah, but I still lead worship at the Baptist church up the street. So it was kind of the cognitive dissonance of that kind of pushed me a little bit to take up this line of oh, just Christians seem to just be hypocrites. They don't really believe what they say they believe. But the problem came to a head one morning when I was getting ready for school. And I, I noticed that my dad was in the kitchen, which was and he was sitting behind a big stack of books, which was a very bad sign. And he'd been up all night thinking possibly about my future, which was deeply unsafe at that time. So my plan was to get out of there as, as quickly as possible and avoid eye contact. But he looked right at me and he asked me a question that I had been avoiding all along, which is, why do you call yourself a Christian? Because I, I still did. I thought I could maintain this kind of dual existence. And so he forced on me the fact that I needed to confront my own hypocrisy. And that was he took away that luxury of hiding from that and pushing that away to the margins of my mind. So. That moment, it wasn't a light switch moment. Human, we human beings never usually respond that quickly to great moral pushes, but it was instrumental in the recovery of my faithfulness to Christ. That's really where it began. It was my dad asking me that very honest question, which at the time was very alienating and made me very angry, but which I can now look back on and see as such a pivotal moment. It's, it seemed so marginal at the time, just a, a quick tense conversation in the kitchen. How many of those do you have with your kids? But this, this turned out to be life changing for me. Hmm. 
you know, one of the things I love about the way those two stories intersect, guys, is that I think I think the struggle for a lot of Christian parents um, who've got a, a child where they're not sure where they are in their in their faith journey have just no way really knowing how to begin those conversations. There's often a lot of awkwardness, there's often dancing around it, or there's the kind of, I know what I'll do, I'll dispatch little Johnny or little Jane to the church and just let the youth worker deal with them because I'm just afraid of going there. And the, the way you describe Cameron Stewart sitting there at the table and just naming the elephant. And so, you know, is there anything you've learned from, as you've, you've reflected on your stories together, anything you've learned by way of advice to, to other kind of Christian parents who perhaps they've got a, you know, a teenager they want to have that conversation with, they haven't got that ability to fire that zingy one-liner that Stuart fired? What lessons are there that we can, you could share with, with other families in terms of how we have honest conversations around intergenerational faith, I guess? Well, I think that's part of the, the core and where we wanted to focus on the book, Andy. There's three particular issues we try to deal with. One is that uh, using fear or fear protects the idea that information saves. So just dump a lot of data on your kids or outsource them to experts where you hand them over to the youth group or somebody else. And really the whole, the whole heart of the book is this a couple of uh, Bible passages that we, we feel very deeply about. Obviously the whole idea to seek first the kingdom of God is righteousness in your daily life, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, Romans 12 too. And then Proverbs 4.23, you know, guard your heart with all diligence for from it flow the issues of life. So creating a home in which the heart and the context of honesty and relationship are key. One of the things we were always working to do was how could the scriptures and God and truth be very normative in every aspect of life so that we could watch movies or books and films or we had tabletop discussions so that discipline wasn't just a kind of a routinized control mechanism over our home, but that God was conversed into all of life. And discipline in that was equally there with fun and communication. So having conversation with your kids means you can't ambush them with morality just when the moment comes up. You have to have a relationship that you cultivate in which then the normal context is to be able to speak with truth and honesty. Yeah, and I can safely say that dad had earned the right to speak into my life in those terms. Because early on, I can remember both my mom and dad had said, no question is off the table to you and your sister. If you have something that's nagging you, if you have something that's really bothering you, bring it to us. So our home our home was a conversation safe zone. And that made all the difference in the world. And not to mention, for for the younger people in the household... And this is so writing from the perspective of a, of a son in this book, a son who is now a, a dad himself. But it was amazing that the moments of what you see, the kind of the overhearing that happens, because if you're li- living a life devoted to Christ, people will see it. So I, I saw my parents reading their Bibles. I saw them singing hymns to, together and on their own. I, I've, I caught them in their devotional moments often. And I saw, I, they weren't perfect by any means, but I knew they believed. And I knew that this was not just a set of intellectual commitments for them. This was an entire way of life, that they followed Christ. So when that question came to me, it carried considerable spiritual authority. It wasn't just the authority of a dad, but I knew he was speaking as somebody who understood also that I had grown up hearing the right answers, so to speak. This is why in the opening section, we talk about the notion of 
information saves. Notice, by the way, that all three of the, the misconceptions that we look at in the beginning of the book, information, fear protects, information saves, spiritual you know, authority belongs to experts. All three of these revolve around control, the idea that you can control your kids. But of course, your child is a human being mm-hmm. and they have within their possession a heart. Mm-hmm. And the only one who has access to the human heart in all of its deep mysteries is our Lord and Savior. So in the deepest sense, there are no experts there. This is why in a recent book by Harold Sankpile, there's a beautiful name, called uh, I think Shepherd of, of Souls. Mm-hmm. He's, he's writing a book to, to pastors, but he talks about in the opening section, if there's anybody who styles themselves as a spiritual expert, you should probably run the other way. <laughs> because what he means is nobody has access to the heart, the inner motivations, the inner man, but God himself. And so that might sound challenging and daunting on the one hand, but it's also tremendously liberating mm-hmm. because it means that if you are a parent, your child has been given to you and trusted into your hands by God, because after all, your child really, truly belongs to God. But you also, you can leave the deep soul work to your Lord and Savior, and you can be, you're then free to be a faithful witness and to ask the hard questions, the uncomfortable questions. But it's important that we we make a, we cultivate an atmosphere in our homes where that is welcomed and where that is open and that we not run from those moments. I know there are many parents who feel that they are ill-equipped and that they, they just don't have the resources. And part of what we, we, we want to say here is the secret is there is no secret here. Rely on Christ. Yes, seek resources and yes, read and yes, think. But you also need to be praying and you also need to be walking alongside the members of, of the church to reach to reach your kids because they have been entrusted into your hands by God and that was not by accident so it's taking hold of that calling as a parent that's so helpful to hear and just picking up on what you just said about leaning upon other members of the church in in raising children for me as a single person i've always wondered what does it look like to relate to the children in the wider church family um recognizing that discipleship does happen in the home but that there's a wider responsibility within the community of believers do you, do you have any kind of uh, wisdom on what that might look like for listeners who who might not have children who are single oh. and but are wanting to kind of um invest in in children in the church family yes uh, Kirsty, thanks for asking that. that that was such a huge part when i came as a single to operational organization um, there were many young families. And of course, part of my formation came with being invited regularly. Almost every night of the week, I would go to one family or another. And of course, they had little boys and little girls who just, especially the little boys, I had them hanging off my head and, you know, wrestling. <laughs> and and, uh, and I loved these little kids. And of course, I'd come out from a world where kids were, hey, you know, I wasn't interested. But I watched the parents, I watched the chaos of a home, I watched the table, I watched, you know, all of this, and I, be, I was absorbing the love, and I realized what an important part I was playing uh, in their lives, and how, as a single, I could see how families operated, and the parents loved for us, you know, often the little kids would want you to go and tell a story, or come in, the little boys would want to go and wrestle and fight, or whatever it was, um, so I think singles need to be invited into and included in parts of the family on both sides. So it's a reciprocal giving and taking. Yeah. And I I think that's such an important question because 
what does it actually mean for your your local church to be your church family if it doesn't mean that you are all brothers and sisters in Christ? So welcome. So one, I was speaking with an elder in my church just a few weeks ago, and he put it like this, and I thought it was just it was so wise. He said, you know, I I can't possibly, me and my wife can't possibly raise our children alone. We're all in this church. We're, we're we as a community are all playing a part in raising our children, and that includes every member of the church. And so, in an important, in a very important sense, in those years with, with when Dad was was single, he was doing his part to he was playing actually an essential role in the formation of those children. And growing up on on the mission field and in, in our church community in Austria. There were many single people who watched my sister and I, and to this day, this, their spiritual imprint is with me, mm-hmm. and they played a crucial role in in raising my sister and I. And so it's it's having it's cultivating a more expansive understanding, a kingdom of God understanding right. of what family means in the context of the church. That's really helpful uh, stuff, uh, folks. Do you know another question? I thought that occurred to me as I listened to you both uh, right at the start of the show, give your testimony, Stuart and Cameron. And obviously Stuart, you've got in some ways more of the sort of more slightly more traditional, you know, quite dramatic. I was a Glasgow bouncer, you know, granny murdering kind of psychopath. I mean, not quite that extreme, but still. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Cameron's is a a more sort of down to earth one. Mm -hmm. And I suppose maybe a question for you, Cameron, to have a reflection on first, but Stuart, I'd love to get your take on this too. You know, Cameron, my testimony is more like yours. And I remember as a young Christian, almost feeling quite inadequate because, Mm. you know, I saw friends who had dramatic testimonies. And that's very powerful evangelistically. Look what the Lord saved me from. But Mm. if your testimony is simply, I grew up in a Christian home, I wrestled through some questions, and now I'm following Christ. You know, sometimes you can feel almost like a second-class citizen. Um, How have you kind of processed that? And what advice would you have to people who are going, gosh, I I wish I had this really dramatic testimony like like Stuart. Mine's more more like Cameron's. So it's funny because that when I first set out to work on that chapter, I had that was a big challenge for me because I thought, all right, so dad, here's dad. His, his, his rap sheet is so darn interesting. And I'm looking at my life here and I've just, the way I put it in the book, I've always lived blandly ever after. (laughs) So there were certain elements I tried to play up at first. I thought, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll tailor this up. Not exactly embellish, but just try to, sort of raised the dramatic stakes while well, I was very into black metal and I was really into dark stuff. But then the essential goofiness of it hit me. And I thought, don't run from that. So that chapter by, you know, for the people who read it early on, and it's probably one of, it's, it's a funny chapter because what I was, what I was trying to do, my little identity crisis, crisis was actually pretty funny. Now it had some sad elements and I mistreated some people in the process, but the fact that I thought, People who dressed up in bad kiss makeup and screamed about being Vikings and, and, you know, oppressed by Christianity in Norway of all places, which is largely secular, struck me as ironic and kind of funny. But then it also helped to highlight some of the, I'll, I'll speak gently here, but some of the inadequacies of what I'll call the testimony circuit. Because it's, it's obvious we're going to prize exotic testimonies for the same reason that we like interesting stories. We we always we always find inter- we always find stories interesting the darker they are, but it hit me that anybody who is rescued by our Lord and Savior that is always amazing and dramatic and it doesn't matter if you were a former bouncer if you were 
you know, somebody who was into the occult, or if you were a mild mannered accountant who just simply thought that you had, you were in charge of your own life mm-hmm. in each case. And in some cases, the more mild, the more dangerous because the more harmless it looks. But if you're living apart from Christ, you're living in total despair. So it was, so it simultaneously helped me to see, look, I don't need that big dramatic story, but also in a sense, I do have that big dramatic story. It's just not conforming to the conventions of earthly standards. But when we think about it in apocalyptic terms, that is peering behind the veil to the spiritual realities, it's every bit as dramatic. So I say that as a word of encouragement to those who have maybe grown up in the church and who do feel that kind of sense of guilt when somebody gives their testimony and it sounds really dramatic. And also take hold of the wonder and the beauty and the grace of being born in a Christian home. I mean, my dad would have been spared so much pain and suffering and turmoil had that been his story. By God's grace, it was my story. So I've learned to thank the Lord for that rather than say, oh, why did you cheat me out of a great testimony? Just a quick addendum there, Andy. I would just say that growing up with uh, what uh, Cameron just said there, you know, they, there are memories and there's things that I did that I have to live with. And I know I'm forgiven and I know I'm redeemed and I'm grateful for that. But I'm glad that my kids didn't have to see some of the things or do some of the things I did and still have that as part of your memory baggage to live life. I mean, the grace of God covers it, but there's something beautiful about the goodness of a home and Christ and living a good life as primary and following God without the unnecessary scars um, all the way in those things. That's uh, I think that's a great place to uh, to end on. You know, we've covered an awful lot uh, in a short uh, amount of time. Thank you so much for taking the time uh, to be with us this afternoon. It's been really great talking to you both, and yeah. so we're really Thank grateful you. for that. And for uh, listeners uh, at home, you can get uh, Cameron and Stuart's book, Faith at Last. It's coming out with IVP, and it's uh, launching uh, in January. should be available in all good bookshops, and do really encourage you to check it out. And also all the great material that they put out with, uh, with ours at AM. You can find both Stuart and Cameron all over the, the web uh, if you go uh, looking them up. And we'll put some links to some of their material in the show notes. So thanks for joining us. Christy, great uh, to have you with us from London, uh, as ever. And uh, to all of you listening at home, wherever you are, do catch us again in two weeks' time for the next episode of Pep Talk. Thanks for listening. <laughs>